Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Gerald Green to inbound. Harden trying to get free. Down to three, down to two. It's a three. Good! Good! He got it! James Harden, a flamethrower! Incredible shot! With the Rockets rolling, winning 12 out of their last 14, and James Harden, you know it, he's playing in some other fourth dimension of basketball that we haven't seen. I figured it was time to bring in David Hardesty, the creator of ClutchFans.net. And David, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of great basketball over the course of Rockets history, and we got to see Akeem Olajuwon, but have you ever seen anything like what James Harden has been doing over the last few weeks? Uh, you know, as far as a, a pure score and, and facilitator, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in the league, to be honest. I mean, he's just become this incredibly potent weapon that you can't stop. He's got a, a handful of unstoppable moves um, that basically you just kind of have to hope he misses the shot. Uh, it, this is truly an incredible run that he's on right now. He's averaging 33.7 points per game for the season, which is the highest scoring average since Kobe Bryant 13 years ago. And the real interesting thing, David, is Jonathan Sharks on the Ringer recently called Harden's step back three, the modern day sky hook. Harden, you know, he's just got this undefendable shot that nobody in the league can touch. There was a stat from late last week where he had 100 step back three pointers this season. The next closest was Luka Doncic with only 28 of those. I mean, you know, it, it's a, it's almost like uh, he's doing something that nobody else can do and touch. I mean, you saw last night with Denver, they didn't even know what. They tried double teaming him, and, and that wasn't. And then they start going off of that, and that wasn't working, and they're baffled. There's nothing left you can do with this guy. Yeah. You know, when you're a player like Harden is getting this much hate from with so many different criticisms aimed at him, it shows you that he has truly developed something here that has become pretty much unstoppable. I mean, obviously they haven't won the title, so it's not like this. You know, this has proven to be something that you know is unstoppable all the way. They have to you know add pieces around him and make things work. But you can't one on one stop James Harden. He's got a move now that, uh, as you pointed out, is is probably the modern day sky hook. Because it's unstoppable. I mean, he's going to either drive past you if you if you're if you're playing too close. If you sag off of him, he's going to step back and hit that three. If you defend that shot really well, you're not going to give him enough space to to land. Um, and he's become so good at that shot. He has honed that craft over and over and over again. And I think I, I really, to be honest with you, Robert, I thought it was quite comical to watch Steph Curry do that step back three and and to be so just upset and and just uh frazzled by the fact that he was not able to execute that move and then sort of blamed it on uh, as if there was some sort of you know bias towards Harden let, allowing him to do this this shot he's found something that he's able to execute that is legal and is right now uh, the league has not been able to stop it you wonder how it's going to work in the playoffs because that that's the next step and and there's also you know the, the constant narrative and 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 it's, you know our eye test says there, there's some truth to it, but, you know, does he choke in the playoffs? There, there's been some big moments where you can argue that, but there was a fascinating stat that I heard where in the playoffs since 1973, and then this is when the, the stats uh, of this type started where they have them anyway, only nine players have averaged per 100 possessions, at least 35 points, five assists, 
five rebounds and a 50% true shooting percentage while playing at least 10 games. LeBron James and Michael Jordan have done it nine times, of course. Kobe, I think Kobe's done it seven times. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, three. And then the only other guys in the conversation are Akeem Olajuwon, Russell Westbrook, and Dwayne Wade, and of course, James Harden with doing it twice. So, you know, the the thing is, I think a lot of people look at the playoffs and, and you hear this sometimes where, oh, he's worse in the playoffs, but what great player outside of maybe LeBron and Michael Jordan, their numbers typically go down in the playoffs. It's rare, David, where players' numbers go up because you're getting more of that focus, but I'm also wondering if this shot and what he's doing with that step back three might change what he's capable of doing in the playoffs. Well, we'll see. I mean, he's, he did have, you know, obviously the step back three last year. I think three point percentage is the main thing I'm looking at with Harden in the playoffs. So that, that has definitely dropped. It's, it has, he has struggled there from, uh, from long range. I think you have to look at the defenses he's faced as well. Um, you know, he's faced some great defensive players. And when, when teams are going to face the Rockets in a seven-game series, it is nothing but defensive strategy against Harden. You can preach over and over and over again. Keep your hands up. Don't reach. Don't, uh, you know, don't get your hands out there where he can hook you and, as he's going up for a drive. Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, teams are always going to load up and focus on Harden. So the, the, his teammates are going to have to step up as well around him. But three-point percentage is some uh, something I'm concerned a li- little bit about Harden as far as it dipping in the playoffs. You know, I don't believe necessarily this, like, the narrative of, like, he chokes, that this is a big pressure game or anything like that. Like I said, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I don't have any uh, lack of hope going into the playoffs here. I feel, you know, we still have a ways to go to see where they end up uh, being seated. But, I mean, I think when you've got James Harden, you, you should feel confident going in that you've uh, – you got a great chance to beat the opponent. And, and let's be honest. I mean, they probably would have won the championship last year if, if Chris Paul didn't get hurt. I mean, a key, key component to that team, they had double-digit leads against the Warriors in both Game 6 and Game 7, even without Paul. So, uh, you know, I, I think this team, with a few tweaks here and there, maybe leading into the trade deadline, can still load up. And right now the Warriors look – uh, vulnerable a little bit. I think Draymond Green's having a tough year. Granted, things change radically between now and then, and, and when the playoffs come, those guys, uh, as stacked as they are, will probably will be ready. But I, I think compared to where the Rockets were a month ago, they're in a great position right now, even with Harden going into the playoffs. Yeah, bookmark that Golden State stuff because I, I want to return to that. But James Harden's playing roughly 40 minutes a game during this stretch, and if there there is a concern with me, it's that. And Here's the thing, David, that I just uh, I'm baffled with Mike D'Antoni. There are times where the Rockets are up by 10 or 15 with two or three or four minutes to go. And, you know, you could say, oh, it's not stressful situations on your legs, but it's 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 time on the legs that that are spent. But even so, I mean, if you just take the the points where he's out of the game in this stretch, I I think there was a number where the Rockets were actually uh, plus when James Harden was out of the game. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case in the last couple of games, but, you know, he's got to figure out, Mike D'Antoni's got to figure out a way to get him a little bit more rest. I mean, you, you added Austin Rivers. You you hope that would help a little bit. I know Eric Gordon's not playing, but the Rockets, I think they can tread water when he's out of the game. And I just, I looked at that Memphis game where they're up by double digits the whole game and he still plays 40 minutes. And you you felt at no point that Memphis was any sort of threat because offensively they just couldn't keep up with the Rockets. You know, they've gotten great contributions from guys. I mean, I think early in the year, I mean, you looked at guys like James Ennis, Michael Carter Williams, obviously Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight wasn't ready. I mean, 
pretty much everything that Daryl Morey did in the in the offseason, almost everything uh, turned to dust. I mean, it just and, and there was a lot of uh, frustration about where this team was headed and and feeling, you know, obviously people were blaming the Rockets for not bringing back Ariza and or uh, Luke Mabamute. And so, you know, there were there were issues there. But I think the addition of Daniel House, the addition of uh, Austin Rivers, I mean, they found guys that fit extremely well into this system. And, you know, now they're, they're thriving. I mean, I think even you look at what Austin Rivers has been doing since he joined the team, who's shooting over 38% from three-point range on, on high volume. I mean, almost seven threes a, a night. So, and the, the really interesting thing about this, Robert, is, you know, Chris Paul went down just before they were about to face probably the most brutal stretch of the season. I mean, I think most people uh, felt like if the Rockets could, could come away at 500 during that, that stretch, uh, they'd be in a great position. Uh, they're seven and one over over an extremely brutal stretch. They've got uh, on Wednesday the the Bucks. That's probably going to be one of their biggest tests as well. Uh, but you know Harden is absolutely carrying them with a historic stretch. I mean, averaging over forty points a game. But they've had big. They've had some players really step up. Clint Capella has been outstanding. Uh, Gerald Green, you know Austin Rivers and House. I mean these and, and Tucker had struggled with a shot for a while, but had the big game. You know just here against uh, at home. So I, I think. They're getting guys stepping up around Harden, which has been something that's, uh, I think, struggled a little bit or hasn't been the case uh, earlier in the year. One of the things has always been a criticism of Harden, I guess, has been his leadership. But there was a quote from Gerald Green where he says he's just doing a lot of things, making sure guys are in their spots. I mean, even when we come in the game, as soon as I come in the game, as soon as I'm checking in, he's uh, he's like, okay, you know, I'm guarding this. You're guarding this. Uh, and Gerald Green goes on to say it's a constant him communicating to us constantly at halftime, before the games, after the games, during the games. Uh, he gets on us a lot, but you can tell he really wants to win. He really wants it as bad as everyone else does. And, and really, to me, David, that that's one of the next steps that I thought he needed to take. And I mean, you're not in the locker rooms. So, I mean, when I say you're out, you and all of us aren't there. So who's to say if. You know, he's taken a, a jump there, but but I get the feeling when I hear from Gerald Green saying this, that, you know, that's something that, that might have changed with him. And, and that's the point where you go, uh, James Harden goes from, hey, I want to be the MVP to I want to be the champion. Yeah. You know, as far as the leadership thing, I think it's, you know, it's easy for us as fans. I, I get wrapped up in it as well to to buy into narratives with just very little information. And, and I think we looked at Harden. In the past, as yeah, a great offensive player, didn't play defense. At least that was the the sort of the narrative. And you know, people also looked at his sort of party lifestyle and and uh, you know, hanging out with people late into the night and 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 uh, you know, going to clubs and st- standard stuff that uh, you know players do. Uh, you know, being being young. And I think it was easy for people to just say things like he's not a leader, which is absolutely false. And I could tell you um, for sure, James Harden. Uh, ever since he's been here has been a guy who puts in the work. I mean, he has always been uh, an example as far as, uh, you know, the guy at practice always been there. He's been extremely durable. Um, but I think you're seeing more leadership qualities on the court that you didn't see before. I think they found a way to make him a good defensive player. I don't, I don't think you are ever going to make James Harden a good defensive player, just putting him out on the perimeter and expecting him to guard a John wall or anything of that nature. I think the switching system has, has allowed it. So you, you can now play James Harden in the post where he is an outstanding defender. Very, very good. 
Um, and so, I, you know, you'll still see clips now and then of him, uh, you know, defending somebody off the baseline and falls asleep and somebody uh, does the backdoor cut or he's, you know, caught flat footed in, on, in transition. Um, when it comes to quickness and, and, and things of that nature, it's it's going to be more difficult for him. But I think that's where the narrative of him not be, being a leader um, came from. But it, I think his teammates have always recognized that he's a leader on and off the floor. Clint Capella, I, I find what Capella has done this year real interesting because, you know, it feels like he's playing a whole lot better. But really, it's just a matter of him being out on the floor more because I looked at his per 36, David, and, you know, really his numbers are equivalent to what we've seen in the past. When you look at per 36, I think the only bizarre thing of the number from the numbers was, you know, his offensive rebounds are actually up a rebound a game, but his defensive rebounds are down 1.6. But when you look at the other per 36 minutes, uh, his assists are up a little bit, but steals are down blocks are down. Some of those numbers are either down or just about where they were. But to me, the eye test is Clint Capella's playing hellacious basketball this year and i feel like it in this last stretch he's upped it especially on the rebounding side of the game yeah and you know it's funny speaking of uh, narratives that we kind of buy into you know he struggled a little bit out of the gate and so people you know fans were kind of like oh he got he got the big contract and he hasn't made uh big strides and they're you know people joking around about the the different hairstyle and now let's go back to the to what how he was before and things of that nature and uh he has absolutely stepped it up. They've made some, some changes, um, sort of dropping him back and they've, uh, you know, be, made him become more of a, a rebounder. Uh, and has he ever, I mean, I think the last eight games without Chris Paul, he's averaging 17 rebounds a night, um, and to go with, uh, tw- basically 20 points, I think 19.9 points per game. Uh, he's become an all-star. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. He's become that good. Granted, he does fit this system extremely well He's not a guy you dump it into the post to, and you don't have to. That's not today's game. Uh, he fits perfectly with Harden. Knows how to roll. Knows how to set the screens. Knows how to roll. Knows how to be in the right spots. And you know, this game here against Denver was a perfect example when they're going to trap Harden, where they're going to double Harden. Uh, Capella made them pay. I mean, there were times where you know he would get the ball up uh, just uh, just north of the free throw line and, and just see a wide open lane. He'd go right to it. Or he dropped in a, um, a very strong hook over, over uh, Jokic. He had a game, he stepped up. And I think, you know, fans um, who've been watching this team have to love his mindset. I mean, he, he goes into games against a guy like Jokic and, and he was ready to play. He, he knew that this was a big matchup. Um, so I think you have to look at that contract that player and say, this is nothing but a huge positive for the Rockets. He's been outstanding during this stretch. Probably the most underrated guy for the last few weeks to me, just the way it's everything seemed to change once he got in the rotation is, is Daniel house and David. I mean, if you look at what house is doing, you know, his three point percentage is now at 37.3 and you know, I don't know if he's Trevor Ariza yet, but he's pretty darn close to what Ariza was giving you on the defensive end. And now some of the things he can do offensively. Yeah. You know, and it, it brings to mind Maury's philosophy, right? Like if you can, if, if Trevor Ariza runs $15 million, you're not going to replace everything Ariza gives you, but if you can replace most of it for a mere fraction of it, then you, you have to do that, especially with a team that, that has superstars like this team that are that are paid the max. And 
they have to they have to watch the luxury tax because not just because of the bottom dollar uh, the bottom line for for Tillman Fertitta, but because it makes flexibility in, in the way that this team moves uh, to to add players extremely difficult if you're up in the you know double and triple tax brackets. So to me, I think um, you know what they've got with House has been amazing. What they hoped to get out of Ennis, what maybe they could hope to get a little bit out of uh, uh, Michael Carter Williams. And he's been outstanding in the last eight games with Chris Paul out shooting 52% from three point range. Let's hope this continues. I mean, I'm not expecting over 50% from three, but he has far exceeded any expectations. I think that they had for him. I mean, certainly they, they had him on a, on a, um, a contract or, you know, a short contract. They waived him. Anybody could have picked him up. Instead, he cleared waivers and the Rockets were able to add him back on again. And I'm, and they hope to, to add him to a, a longer deal, but uh, he's been basically a godsend for this team because they needed somebody they could they could trust that could play some defense, fit into the system, knock down the open three. Uh, Ennis had some injury issues and frankly has been kind of invisible at times. House has stepped in and filled that role. Yeah, the Houston greenhouse effect with Gerald Green now also doing work off with those two guys coming uh, out of uh, the hood in, in Houston, I guess, or at least our, our hood, Houston. Um, it, it's been big, but where do you improve this team now? What what do you go do? Because, you know, to me, outside of getting a superstar, the, the, the improvement is just such an incremental uh, point where, where the Rockets are right now. I, to me, the biggest thing, I would think that they need somebody to help with PJ Tucker's minutes and take some of those down. Somebody that could play the four a little bit more for him that you could trust out there because uh, he he's racking up a lot of minutes. You need that energy and defense when the playoffs come around and, and you don't want to get him hurt. He's not a young guy anymore. You know, as far as what you do to this team, a great question. I think they still could stand to you to add a guy. I mean, a, a guy like Kent Bazemore, in my opinion, is is probably the perfect type of addition. It's really fascinating to me, again, because it's like a stock market. It really is as far as what you have assets to, to trade. And the probably the time to trade that first round pick, which, of course, would have been difficult for the Rockets to do that, was when Chris Paul went down. And, you know, they had a brutal stretch coming up. Probably around the league, people could have eyed that Rockets pick and said that that might be a, a decent pick. Right now, I think they're, they're back to looking like they might be in the 20s when when all things things are all said and done. But I think where you're hoping to, to move is still unload Brandon Knight and move that first round pick. Get somebody to take that that type of deal to pick up that asset, the first round pick. And in the process, add a contract that's probably not super favorable. Bazemore is a great example because it's not a favorable contract. But it's somebody who can actually help your team. And Brandon Knight has, you know, he's obviously coming back from a major injury. It's been a, a long while and it's taken him a, a while to ramp up. But I'm not sure Knight's that player, uh, especially with the addition of Austin Rivers now. I think you've got more depth at the, at the point guard spot. So I think that they're, that's their goal or their hope. I mean, I, I still think trimming the bottom line is, is a very big deal for both the owner and uh, the team flexibility standpoint. So that may take precedent, but if they're going to try to keep things, you know, at the same salary in, in flipping that first round pick, that's still the guy that I eye as far as adding somebody that can help this team. You mentioned Golden State. You make a great point because, you know, one of the things I think it's it's a little bit under the radar, but you said Draymond Green and, and what's going on with him. He's not an all-star level player right now, and, and I don't think he's going to be one the rest of the year. The, the word out there is that, Draymond is injured. He's trying to play through this injury because he's afraid if he gets shut down that, 
you know, he's a free agent, so that's going to affect him in the open market somewhat. But what he's playing right now is not the Draymond Green and old. So it's not like the old days uh, with Golden State where you have four all-stars that they're running out there. And, you know, Boogie Cousins may come back, may not. But, you know, it's going to be super difficult coming back from that type of injury with his size. And I I think the assumption that, oh, yeah, they're going to be running out five all-stars in the playoffs is, is now more uh, likely to be myth than reality. And then and then you look at some of the other issues that they have. The depth, you know, has eroded over the years. They just don't have the guys that they used to have. Depth-wise, uh, Iguodala slowly deteriorating. Uh, you know, you, you just don't have what you used to have with Golden State all the way around. So, you know, I, I'm wondering, number one, could this be the time that the Rockets or, or somebody else could take them? Could the Rockets get to that point? I mean, obviously they showed it the other night, but... Also, I mean, we're at the point where I think uh, this is the last year in Golden State because Draymond might not be the same, and and Kevin Durant, it looks very likely he's gone. That's my hunch that Durant leaves. I think he's he's probably tired of the drama there and probably would look for a new challenge. But again, that's pure speculation on my part. Well, first of all, let me just say this: I've always felt that Draymond Green, probably the the weakest of the four players. As far as you know, danger how dangerous he is to to you know opponents on the offensive side uh, is the one guy that changes everything for the Warriors, in my opinion. As far as how the Rockets face them, uh, if I think if you took him off the team, I still like the Rockets' chances going up against Clay, Durant, and Curry. You know, three of the best shooters the game has ever seen. He makes things so difficult for the Rockets in general, or has in the past just because of his ability to knock down the open shot, stretch the floor, defend anybody. He, he's the key to their whole their whole system. So for him to have this kind of season, he's shooting 24.6% from three-point range. And frankly, when you look at it, outside of that 2015-16 season, when they you know won 73 games, he really is not a good three-point shooter. So I think teams are now asking him to take that shot. And it, it changes things on a defensive standpoint. There's not five guys who are, uh, you know, a, an outside threat at all times, pretty much on the on the floor when he's playing with that death lineup. So to me, this is a year where they're still outstanding. They're still stacked and, and they're getting DeMarcus Cousins back here soon. But it's it's they're vulnerable. And if the Rockets can get back to where they were last year, and, and that's still an if, um, I think that they're this is a chance that they have to to beat them. And it would be incredible um, to do that because they're still all the guys are still in their prime. I think because Draymond's has slipped so far, and we'll see if this continues, I think it opens the door for the Rockets. Daryl, even with Chris Paul's injury at the wrong time last year, I feel like Daryl Morey walks around with a lucky rabbit's foot sometimes because he he, <laughs> he, he dodged the Chris Bosh signing. He dodged the Chandler Parsons signing. And I'm wondering now how big it was, uh, David, that he, he might have dodged the Jimmy Butler trade. <laughs> it's funny. You're definitely talking to somebody who was very cautious about that deal. And and when it came out to four first round picks, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. I, I could not believe that that was even offered, even though it was a deal that was offered uh, to unload salary. They were talking about, uh, you know, moving Brandon Knight and, and Marquise Chris and obviously, Daryl Morey, I have incredible faith in him. I think he's brilliant, and I, I, I would, you know, he knows way better than I do. But I look at that as four first-round picks over seven years in the future. 
And fans were responding like, oh, those picks are going to be in the 20s. No. I mean, we saw a week or two later, it wasn't even a guarantee that it was going to be in the 20s this year. You, you go out to seven years, things are radically, radically different. And that's something that hangs over your head. You're not able to move future picks in between that gap. That's franchise altering for a player who admittedly is, is outstanding, Jimmy Butler, but hasn't played well with others and did not have the Houston Rockets essentially his hometown, even though he, he you know, considers Tomball, not Houston, his hometown, um, did not have the Houston Rockets at the time when they were the best team that they've ever had in franchise history. He didn't even have them on the list. And the teams that he had on his list uh, were all big, huge markets. I think there was uh, like L.A. and um, Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. And it wasn't the Lakers. It wasn't to play with um, with LeBron. I think he wanted to be the guy on a team, he wanted to get the max amount of money. Uh, to me, that was a huge red flag. I think he he could fit here. I, I still would be willing to bet that the Rockets are going to contact Philly just to see if things fall apart there and and, and pursue him again. But four first round picks, I, I mean, I'm just not convinced that Jimmy Butler, as good as he is, and he would be a huge boost to this team, that he would fit uh, even the Rockets culture. I think um, he he would want more and could potentially cause more problems at that cost. That, that's too great. One or two first-round picks. Two is even stretching it for me, but uh, four was a mistake to even offer. If we somehow assume Golden State's the best team in the NBA right now, who do you like as the second-best team in the NBA? <laughs> to me, I don't even know. I mean, the, the Bucks are leading the East, but the Raptors are right there with them. The Pacers, believe it or not, are now in the three spot. And then in the West, the Nuggets, we just... You know, the Rockets just took them apart. The Thunder are in the three spot. Those are one and three with the Warriors. The, the, the Clippers, I guess, are at four. I mean, what's the second best team in the – who's the second best team in the NBA? In my opinion, it's Toronto. That, that's who I think is the, the team to be concerned about. I think that the East has a, a really good team there. I think Milwaukee, let's see. They've been fantastic. Giannis has been incredible. I think this matchup Wednesday here – um, at Toyota Center is going to be one you, it, people need to tune in and watch because I think Giannis, just the way he is, he's going to take this personal. This is an MVP matchup for him. I think he feels um, how this goes head to head is going to determine whether he's at least, you know, with the way some people treat that, uh, you know, he could have a late block against Harden and people will play that forever as the reason he should be MVP over James Harden. But I think people will look at this game and, and consider that important to the MVP race. And it's a great team coming in against another team that's playing out of their mind in the Rockets. So that's a great team, uh, game to watch. OKC, believe it or not, I don't consider them the second best team, but I think that they're a threat. Let's see when they get Andre Roberson back, um, because I think defensively they have some pieces in, in Roberson and George uh, and Adams somewhat you know, around the basket that could cause the Rockets problems. Um, Roberson is a bit of a freak defensively. He's that good. So as far as second best in the team in the league, I would probably go Toronto and then, um, you know, Milwaukee. I want to get a good look at them here Wednesday, but I think that's uh, another team you have to, you have to consider as well. I don't consider Indiana really as big of a threat, even though the record's been great and Philly should be better than their, their current record, even though they've been quite good. Yeah. That Jimmy Butler pill is not tasting real good right now i mean he's always causing issues and stuff like that there's one last thing i I had on harden and you know you just you hear over and over again national guys oh he's so terrible to watch and he hunts fouls and he's always at the free throw line and we kind of know that you know all the great players are always at the free throw line I, i don't know if 
you know, his numbers are that much different than, than any other fantastic player. But, you know, the, the idea that he hunts fouls and he's not interesting to watch to, to me, David, this year, more than any other, I, I find it extremely interesting to watch James because the old thing was that, oh, he was just going at, driving to the basket and trying to run into somebody to cause a foul, but he, he's not taken nearly as many two pointers. A lot of his fouls right now are happening from three point shots. And I mean, if, if that's the case, I mean, how do you blame James for that? I mean, he's taking a three point shot and a guy runs into him or hits him on the arm or something like that. That tells you how scared they are of him. I mean, I could talk honestly all day on this because James Harden to me is such an intelligent player. I mean, he's so crafty. I mean, they changed the rules because of how effective he was drawing fouls on three-point shots, just sensing the contact and shooting into it. I mean, like guys would reach over him and he would jump right into it. I mean, there was a, against Denver, it was a clear play where he was going up for a three, guy fouled him on the way up, he shot it, and they said, no, nah, it's on the floor. And it's, and it's literally because of James Harden. I mean, that whole rule was changed because of James Harden. If, if that same shot by another player inside the arc was – was made same attempt. As a matter of fact, I think it happened a couple of times in that same game. They would let that go as far as continuation. So they've, I mean, they've had to change the rules. And so here he is now bringing this step back three into the game and guys have to foul him because they're landing in his, in his zone. I mean, I think you might see another rule change. You, you might, I mean, the way people are, are complaining so vehemently about him, I could see them changing the rules as far as space or, or the amount of steps or something, something crazy because he has literally found loopholes. And I don't want to say loopholes. That's probably the wrong thing. I mean, these are all legal moves, but he's maximizing everything he can to score. And it drives people crazy. I mean, the narratives that you see people throwing out there right now, or, or just claims, you know, he, 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 because he traveled against Utah, he travels on every play or without Mike D'Antoni, he wouldn't be putting up these, these points, even though he's putting up the same amount of points more or less. Uh, the season before Dan Tony came. So when you have a great player like James Harden, fans who are watching him destroy their teams um, are just going to complain. I mean, I think I remember, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Kobe or the way he drew fouls or anything of that nature. So I understand it. But I think people have to truly step back and recognize. And I think they will after he retires. Uh, I think all around the league, they will. How truly great he is. I mean, he is a, a brilliant scorer and facilitator. We've never seen anybody like him, a guy who can, who defends in the post can create like the best point guard and can score like the best shooting guard. Uh, it's a truly a unique talent. Uh, if I, if I was going to say James Harden's ruining the game, I would say he's ruining the game for me because when he retires, I'm going to have to watch a 20 point per game score and think this is great, you know, because he's truly that good. He's, he's, he's making things look uh, silly, but putting up 40 points a game plus, over the last eight. I mean, that's unheard of. So to me, I, I'm, I'm in awe of what he does because he continues to basically push his game farther and farther. Is there anything close as far as last second shots in the, in the history of Rockets basketball for degree of difficulty? I mean, that one against Golden State, I, I feel like that might be the most difficult last second shot I've seen from anybody. The only thing I can think of from Rockets history is maybe the Eddie Johnson one from like about half court. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, Eddie Johnson came to mind when you're talking about that. Because, I mean, granted, it was a straightaway shot, but it was, what, 28, 30 feet out. 
Um, but the other is the Ralph Sampson one, even though it's a shorter distance. I mean, that the degree of difficulty on that has to be kind of crazy because he, he, he's not even facing the basket when he jumps to catch it and he, you know, herky jerky sort of twists and, and looks over his right shoulder and, and flips it up into the basket. But that shot is, I mean, it was so symbolic, Robert. That's what was amazing. I mean, it was right in between, you know, Draymond Green and, and Clay Thompson. They both contested. It just, it, it was really an MVP moment for him. I mean, he, he, he took it to two of the best in the game. They basically were both surrounding him. Basically got fouled, more or less. I mean, yeah, he kicked his legs up, but he was getting fouled on the arm. And the body, uh, even before that, Draymond uh, basically jumped into him and, and still nailed it. So that thing is going to basically ring true, or that thing's going to be shown over and over again as far as, his M- as far as his MVP case. His numbers more or less prove that. But I think as far as moments, that's that's definitely it. Yeah, you may have seen this, but I saw on Twitter Tim McMahon from ESPN uh, tweet. He said, uh, overheard Warriors fan on the way out say of James Harden, quote, I hate to say it, but that's the best basketball performance I've ever seen in my life. Which I, and I saw that too. Uh, Tim's great, but I tell you, uh, that's crazy, right? I mean, I mean, it's awesome, but I mean, it, that says something when you're talking about a Warriors fan, right? I mean, they've had some incredible performances in that building before. And I think what makes it amazing to me is Harden, I don't want to say he's doing this by himself. He had he had a lot of help. Capella Rivers was huge in that game. But as far as stars, I mean, the Warriors are stacked. And here's James Harden sort of single-handedly, if you will, uh, as far as a star level carrying this team past them in their own place. Um, that was an incredible performance. He hit shot after shot, hit 10 threes, tied the, the uh, franchise high that, uh, for that game. Pa- Chandler Parsons, in fact, uh, his franchise high. So um, it, it was a historic game, one that I think we'll remember for a long time and had the entire league buzzing. I mean, it was, you know, I think the game before that he shot 27 free throws. So everyone was just, you know, ranting and raving about his free throws and how ugly his game is and how he relies on free throws and he goes in and hits 10 threes and does it against, you know, arguably the best team uh, ever. And so to me that, uh, that really put the, the league and the fans on notice. Boy, it's fun. It's fun to watch these guys and uh, fun to talk to you about it too. I mean, it, we, we both have seen a lot of Rockets basketball and understand, you know, how amazing and just ridiculous what we're seeing right now is. And thanks so much for doing this. Great to talk with you. Oh, always man. Anytime. I appreciate it. Murray and Harden. Hyde's licking his chops. It's his... Oh. He fell down. That's oh. Harden with a cold-blooded three. Man down. Man down. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. And if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.